Well, it's really delightful uh, for me, and I hope it will eventually be for you as well, to begin this sermon series where we'll take a deep dive into the heart of Christ. The reason Steve and I made the decision to spend the next three months working through scripture using as our framework the book Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers, is that we deeply desire that we here at Redeemer would be able to tear down the false, decaffeinated, domesticated, junior varsity Jesus that has evolved in so many Christians' minds and hearts and who is the Jesus that they imagine to be. We want to let the scriptures confront us with the real, three-dimensional, full living color Jesus who says that his heart is gentle and lowly. We want you to see that Jesus' gentle and lowly heart flow right out of the Old Testament. And we want you to see that this same heart is woven all throughout the New Testament. We hope that this study of the heart of Christ is deeply encouraging to you as it has been and continues to be in both of us. We were just talking about that in, in the office before we prayed, just saying it just feels too good to be true that this is actually the case. And all the related and kind of coordinated resources that we have, the sermon series, our small groups, the book, uh, which, by the way, if you're visiting today, please take a copy of that book if we want you to understand anything about Christ. It's his heart. Uh, also, if you go here regularly, you can pay 10 bucks for it. <laughs> Just invite a friend, and you can get a free book. The study guide, the online 14-day devotional, which, by the way, is excellent. I sent everyone the link to that on Friday. They all exist simply to plunge our hearts into the wondrous heart of Jesus, the friend of sinners and sufferers. I hope you'll take advantage of all of those resources. This series is actually based on one passage in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus invites us all to come to him and to learn from him because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And the point of all that, the reason for all of that is where Jesus says, for I am gentle and lonely. I believe these words are worth a lifetime of pondering. And so if you've got your Bibles or your devices, we're going to look at Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30 today. I'm going to read that to you now. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the one and only time in the scriptures where Jesus talks about his heart. And we really can't grasp this. This whole gentle and lonely thing apart from all the other things that he says here. Because they're all part of one statement that he is making. 
So there are at least three things in this passage we should consider before we get to the gentle and lowly heart of Christ for us. The first one is this, an open invitation. An open invitation from Christ who is always glad to be with us. Now, I'm going to get much more into glad to be with us um, next week as we open the scriptures. But you should recognize that already for what we talked about uh, last Sunday when Steve and Rebecca were leading us in our time after church where we were talking about joy, building joy, and the definition of joy being, being with someone who's glad to be with you. I feel like one of the most joy-inducing questions you can ever hear from friends, especially at the end of a long visit, is when can you come back? Have you ever been asked that question? It's especially a good question after you've been with them for more than three days and what Mark Twain said is true. Because you stink now. It's amazing because it means that they're Glad to be with you in that moment and long to be with you again. You have an open invitation. This thought makes me smile often as I gather with a small group of friends for morning prayer a first day, uh, a few days a week. One of the first things that happens in the daily office after confessing our sin and being reminded of God's invincible and inexhaustible absolution is the, is the recitation as reminder of an open invitation from God to us, the venite also known as Psalm 95. Venite is Latin for the first two words of the psalm, O come. <laughs> o come. We are in that moment together responding to an open invitation from God. God is glad to be with us. This is no small thing. And when you look for them, you, you find these kinds of invitations all throughout the scriptures. It's not surprising then that when Jesus sought to describe his heart's essence to his followers, he embedded it in an open invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. His invitation is simple. Come. I want you to come. I'm glad to be with you. And this invitation is open to everyone who hears it. But the reality is that only those who are, I would say, self-aware, aware of their need, are actually going to respond to that invitation. Self-awareness is to reckon honestly with ourselves at least as much as possible with fallen men and women. This is a vital characteristic for us sinners, self-awareness. And one of the things Lent is meant to strengthen in us. Because only those who are self-aware, who understand that we are at our core needy, will come. We know that we're sinful and we're broken. And like an IV, we need a constant flow of grace and mercy in our lives. But here's the challenge. 
You can't be self-aware and self-sufficient at the same time. And we all know that one of the historically embedded characteristics of Americans is self-sufficiency. I can take care of myself. I'm good. I don't need help. Which, by the way, is also an embedded characteristic of sin. But you can't be self-aware. You can't understand yourself and say, I don't need Christ. I'm sufficient on my own. But here is this invitation from Jesus. Come. Come to me. He doesn't say come to church, although I will say uh, that's incredibly important and that might sound self-serving and probably is. <laughs> but church is actually something that we need to be together with a community that spurs us on to love and good works. He doesn't say come to a pastor or an elder or a leader. He says, as important as these things are, come to me. And this is an open invitation. Until you die or until he returns, the invitation is yours. This is one of the most beautiful things to flow out of Jesus's gentle and lowly heart. Come, come to me. This is not just coming to Christ for salvation. It's certainly not less than that, but it's an open invitation anytime, anywhere, for anything. If you're sinful, which by the way, you all are, and so am I. If you're sinful, if you're suffering, come. And you will find rest for your soul, which is the second important thing here, rest. Rest is something we often hear and think about, but don't always comprehend the breadth of, in particular, when Jesus talks about it, rest is far more than just a little time off. Steve was just mentioning before that in the Old Testament idea of rest is actually leaning on somebody. Which is actually important here. The word rest is to cease from labor or movement in order to regain strength. It's to stop laboring and working so that you can be refreshed, so that you can recover your strength. The kind of rest that Jesus is talking about is far more than physical rest. We all obviously need physical rest, and it's good that we get it, especially when we've expended a lot of energy in some labor or bearing some burden or another. But that's not the point here. This is a rest of a much more profound kind. It's a rest of relationship. Come to, what does Jesus say? Who? Come to me. Jesus says, and you will find rest for your what? Soul. So there is an unseen reality at work here. We have a deep and ongoing need for our souls to recover from labor and the weight of the burdens that we bear. This, I, I didn't even realize it till today. Sorry for not having read carefully through the collect, but it says, Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Getting to my first point. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls that we may be defended from all adversities that, that happen to the body and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul through Jesus Christ our Lord. And by the way, all of the passages that we read today 
have in some way to do with self-sufficiency. Could the words labor and heavy laden ever describe you? Weariness from all the energy expended fighting off the unending and unforgiving assaults of the world, the flesh, and the devil, as St. Paul describes in Ephesians 2, 2 and 3. Weariness from wrestling not in the flesh, as we're told further on in Ephesians, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil. evil. Or maybe you're just really really sad or grieving or mournful or discouraged or lonely or anxious or brokenhearted or you're caught in an entangling sin from which you see no hope of escape. There are so many ways to weary the soul. This is one thing we have in common. Every single one of us knows what it is to be soul tired. And sadly, a lot of people try to self-medicate with screen time or food or alcohol or some other diversion so they just don't have to think about it. But Jesus offers us only one way to find rest for our burden-bearing and labor-weary souls. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy-laden, and you will find rest for your soul. We've all spent time around people who are angry and aloof and demanding and impatient, or we have a sense that they're disappointed in us. They bring us distress, not rest. But that is not Jesus. According to his own testimony, Christ's very heart is gentle and lonely. This is who he is, tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, and willing. I believe this is at least part of what Jesus means when he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. What Jesus isn't offering here is a life free of pain or hardship. These kinds are inevitable on this side of eternity as we're told in Romans 8. This is a different kind of offering. Y'all know a yoke is the heavy crossbar laid on oxen to force them to drag farming, farming equipment through a field. And Jesus is using a kind of irony here, saying that the yoke laid on his disciples is a non-yoke, actually. And his burden is a non-burden because it's a yoke and a burden of kindness. So when he says to take my yoke upon you, it's not a crushing command. It's actually an offer of kindness. He's not saying, let me just pile a little more weight onto your shoulders. His hearers knew immediately that this is what the Pharisees and the religious leaders did. They heaped burdens of expectation and obligation onto people's shoulders, hung them around their necks, and said, you've got to do this and this and this, and you've got to do it exactly to the letter of the law. But these burdens on people to be, be good and to do good was a weight they just couldn't bear. They couldn't be good enough. They couldn't do good enough. And Jesus is saying, that's not me. My yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. I don't want to pile on. I want to lighten your load. Come to me. I want to help you carry the burden that's on your shoulders. You don't have to bear it on your own. I'm going to put this yoke on us. And it's going to lighten your load. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. See, the only way that a yoke makes sense in this passage is if something is bound together, if two things are bound together, us and Christ in this, in this instance, for the load to be shared. But Jesus isn't just sharing the load. He's bearing the load, taking the load, bearing your burden. And don't, don't miss it. He is absolutely strong enough to bear your burden. I mean, listen to how, to how St. John describes him in Revelation chapter 1. This, this same Jesus. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, the one with all might. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, like a son of man, who might he be talking about there? Jesus. Like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forever, and I have the keys to death and Hades. Oh, he's strong and powerful enough to bear your burden and He's gentle and lowly enough to care for your soul. Amen. So, we see an open invitation from Christ to come to him. We see that he himself is the source of rest for our weary souls. And we see that his yoke is, and his burden is a yoke and burden of kindness. All of this takes us to the soul place in scripture where the son of God pulls back the veil and gives us a peek into the core of who he is and letting Jesus himself set the terms his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart these are these are just astounding words that we're never going to fully plumb the depths of and hopefully they are words that we're never going to get over and every word in that statement is significant. Jesus says, I, this is his own claim. This isn't what his disciples are saying about him. This is what, not what a personality test said about him. This is his own claim, his own words. 
And he says, I am. He doesn't say I was at one time. He doesn't say I might be one day or I will be once you get your act together. He says, I am. This is a present reality. It's who he is. And he says, gentle. Who of us would ever have guessed that he would use that word as the first word out of his mouth to describe his heart? What an amazing adjective for him to use. I am gentle. I believe Jesus is saying I am the most tender, non-manipulative, non-abrasive person you could ever come across. The word rendered gentle here occurs only three other times in the New Testament. In the first beatitude, the meek that will inherit the earth in Matthew 5.5. In the prophecy in Matthew 21.5, quoting from Zechariah 9.9, that Jesus is the king coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. And in Peter's words to wives, to nurture more than anything else, the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle spirit. In 1 Peter 3, 4, meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy. He is not harsh, reactionary, or easily exasperated. Thanks be to God. He is the most understanding person in the universe. <laughs> His most natural posture is not a pointed finger. It's open arms. He says, I am gentle and lonely to drive it home even more. These are overlapping ideas, but distinct. I am lowly in heart. In other words, I am the most accessible, the most approachable person in the universe. You don't have to go through security to get to me. You don't have to buy a ticket and get in line. You're not going to be put interminably on hold. He is the most accessible person in the universe, glorious as he is. The revelation one, Christ the one who is invincible, ineffable, magnificent, resplendent, and divine. That, Christ says, I am gentle. And he says, in heart. This isn't something peripheral to him. This is what his own heart is. In other words, this is what you could say gets him out of bed in the morning. This is the deepest, innermost core of who he is, and this pours out of him. This is his heart. The heart in the Bible is, isn't just our emotions or our feelings. It's not less than our emotions, but the heart is the innermost core of what we love, who we are, why we do what we do. And Jesus comes and tells us his, what his heart is. He says it's gentle and lowly. This is who he is. As Dane Ortland writes in the book, if Jesus hosted his own personal website, the most prominent line of the About Me drop-down would read, gentle and lowly in heart. Now, you might object that this is cherry-picking. I mean, it's one verse, one short passage out of everything in the Gospels. And it, that might be a valid objection, except that what we see of Jesus on every page Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is exactly what he taught from his own lips in Matthew 11. 
In other words, what we see him teach in Matthew 11 is what we see him do everywhere else in the Gospels. And what we see is that he is drawn irresistibly to sin and suffering, to, to pain and anguish, to guilt and unhealthy shame. This is what his heart is drawn to. It's what he gladly opens himself up to, which is the exact opposite of how we operate most of the time. We're the cold calculating ones, not him. Again, from the book, the cumulative testimony of the four gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering and not away from it. That's his heart for us. When you and I sin and when we experience brokenness and when we touch bottom, Jesus doesn't step away and say, well, you know, let's hold off for just a bit while you work some things out. No. He moves toward us. Lowly gentleness isn't one way Jesus occasionally acts toward others. Gentleness is who he is. It's his heart. Just one more little quote from the book. He can't ungentle himself toward his own any more than you or I can change our eye color. Toward his own is an important part of this sentence, too, because this is not who Jesus is to everyone indiscriminately. The scriptures bear this out. This is who he is for those who come to him, who take his yoke upon them, and who cry to him for help. Gentle and lowly does not mean mushy and frothy. But for the penitent, and this is critical for us to keep front of mind in a penitential season like Lent, because it's his kindness that's meant to lead us to repentance. For the penitent, his heart of gentle embrace is never outmatched by our sins and foibles and insecurities and doubts and anxieties and failures. The invitation is open. All that's required to experience the gentle embrace of Jesus is to collapse into his arms. And anyone can do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.